Let me take you back tonight to 1996. You guys weren't born. Actually, I'm going to take you two years forward. No, it is. 1996. Um, actually, I'm, I hate to do this because it's just going to make me so old. How many of you in the room were born? Yeah, that's what I thought. None of y'all. But I had done two years. Uh, I had done two years at a junior college. I had tra transferred to Eastern Illinois University. Um, didn't know a soul there. Got involved in a Christian community there. I was a follower of Jesus, but man, God, like I, he, God had a lot of growing up to do in my life when I transferred as a junior. So I was like, I knew Jesus for a long time. I did not take my faith seriously really until I hit college. And then so my freshman, sophomore year were big, year, big years of growth for me. And then when I hit my junior year, I feel like God was like, all right, we got some running to do instead of just walking, okay? Um, and so uh, my, my first semester toward the end, I get a phone call not expecting it. This is back in the old days. Your dorms had actually like landline phones, like a hotel would, that you could just type in somebody's room number in a different dorm and ring it without even knowing who they were, okay? It's completely crazy technology, you guys, that we used to have back in the 1900s. And so I get a phone call on my landline, which doesn't happen, and I pick it up, and there's a girl on the other side, the other end of the phone, and she starts talking to me, and she asks me out. Okay? I'm like, huh. Now, here's the thing. She wanted to go out that night. I had a load of stuff to do. Like, I was in the middle of writing a paper that I had waited way too long to do. So I'm really torn in this moment because I'm already feeling stressed and anxiety that there's no way I'm getting this paper done. Here's the other problem. This person who had called me, this girl, like, I knew her, sort of. Like she, was a, she was an acquaintance, and I was 98% sure that the name that she said on the phone and the face that I pictured in my head were the same person, okay? But that 2% is a problem, <laughs> right? Because you don't say yes to a date when you're 98% sure you know who is asking you out, okay? So for both of those reasons together, I said, I really would like to, but tonight I just can't. Can I get a rain check on that, okay? So we talked for a little bit longer. She hung up the phone. I desperately went and figured out to make sure that that 2% was taken care of, okay? That, that, uh, that who I thought was calling me was the actual person who was calling me. We actually did go out. It took, I mean, a little bit later, we went out to TCBY. I don't even know that those exist anymore. It was a yogurt place that was in Charleston, Illinois, and we had our first date together, and that would be my wife today. Yeah. That's our beginning. That's our very, <laughs> oh, that's, that's our beginning story, right? And, and we've traveled miles since then, you guys, miles and miles and miles. We have a lot of life under our belt now. We're not old, okay? But we've got some traveling that we've done together. And every story has a beginning. That's ours. I love the beginning of our story. Took a lot of dates. I mean, we, had, we didn't know each other, obviously. I, I, 98% who knew who she was at that point in the first time, okay? So it took a while for us to figure out, I mean, we weren't friends first, so what, what's your family like, and what it, how did you grow up, and what's faith look like for you? And like all of these, it took a long time for us to unpack that with each other, ways that our personalities worked really well together, and ways that our personalities didn't work really well together, and how do you figure that out as a couple? All of that stuff, but you guys, that's the beginning. Every story has a beginning. That's, that's the beginning of our story. What's beautiful is, 
is I look back on that now, and I think, could that 20-year-old guy, me, have a clue what life would look like 25 years later? No. No. I had no idea what God would do through that phone call. Man, I'd love to go back in time <laughs> and watch that unfold. That moment in my life, I had no clue as I'm feverishly writing. First of all, idiot, stop writing the paper, okay? Like, I look back at that guy now, and I'm like, just say yes, okay? The 2% will figure itself out, okay? Man, what a great thing to say yes to. When we look at God's larger story for us, every story has a beginning. Why wouldn't his story have a beginning? Why wouldn't our story have a beginning? Why wouldn't we think about or talk about the larger story that's there? Every story has to have a beginning. Every movie that you've seen has a beginning. Even the ones, you know, you got those weird movies that sort of start in the middle. You know what I'm talking about? They've got to flash back to the beginning. Why? Because you have to know the characters. You have to understand where they came from. Otherwise, they don't matter to you. I was thinking through um, even just like some random Disney movies. I did a little homework before tonight because I was wondering if you could identify, like if I gave you the very beginning line, I think the first one's easy, but the rest of them might get you, of a Disney movie, I wondered if you would even know its beginnings. So you ready? Yell it out if you know it. In the beginning, there was only ocean. Moana, there you go. That's an easy one. That one should have been a gimme. It's all about the ocean. Here we go. Next one. Life's not fair, is it? Not Toy Story. I haven't heard it yet. Lion King. Can you hear it in Scar's voice? Life's not fair, is it? Okay. Next one. This is the story of how I died. <laughs> all right, all right. Didn't even get it all out there. Okay. I've only got five of them. This is number four. Sometimes I think I'm cursed because of something that happened before I was even born. I haven't heard it. It's not Ratatouille. <laughs> How could that be Ratatouille? <laughs> it is not Finding Nemo. Not the, it is. Sometimes I think I'm cursed because of something that happened before I was even born. Did I stump you? Coco, I heard it. That's what it was. Oh. Last one. All right, everybody, this is a stick-up. Don't anybody move. Now empty that safe. Toy Story. Excellent work, friends. Excellent work. All right, just like every movie you've ever seen has a beginning, just like my relationship with my wife has a beginning, there was a beginning. Period. There was a beginning. And what's weird about talking about beginnings when it comes to this planet, when it comes to humanity, is at the beginning, you guys, there is faith. Now, some of you, some of you very scientifically minded in the room, you're like, uh-uh, <laughs> not, not for me, there's not. Yes, there is. Yes, there is. There is a step of faith at the beginning. I'm a skeptic, you guys. I'm a doubter. I am. Faith doesn't come easy for me. All right? So when I look at the beginning, though, here's the thing. What comes at the beginning? If, in, in your science classes, if you're, if you're in a, uh, you know, one of the hard sciences, they'll be like, well, the Big Bang was at the beginning. That doesn't work that way. Because when I ask the question, what came before the Big Bang, it's like, we don't know. Well, what do you mean we don't know? You can't tell me that, that matter came out of no matter 
Like, you can't tell me that something came out of nothing. That's not, I mean, that's not a scientific answer. Even within science, when you go back before what they have assigned as the beginning, the answer is, we don't know. In that space, you have to choose whether or not you're putting your faith in this space of, I do not believe it's possible that a God created this universe, or I believe that it's possible that there was a designer. Every theory that I have ever heard about the beginning requires faith, even the one that's truly science. Science itself does not answer the question, where did all of this stuff come from and why? It's a great question, and it's one that we should be asking. And the obvious place, if we're going to Scripture, you guys, is easy, because you turn to the first page and you have this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1.1. It's right there in the beginning for us. But even if we just go to the first four words, okay, this is an entire, like, I could preach a series of sermon on, sermons on just these four words. In the beginning, what? God. This isn't his beginning, by the way. It's not telling us that this was God's beginning, that he just sprung onto the scene. No, in our beginning, there was a pre-existing creator. God himself was there. Well, man, that leads to so many questions. Who is this God? What does he create? Why does he create it? Do you know answers to those questions? You should. Scripture spends a lot of time unpacking those in different ways. Some of those we don't completely know. Some of those are big, big questions that we're left in areas of faith where we're like, I'm going to have to trust. But some of these, you guys, we do have answers for. And I want to spend some time walking through, again, some of those questions. Who in the world is this? What do we know about this God? If in the beginning he was already there, then what does it mean? So let's ask that question. Who is this God? First of all, notice if I can get a little bit uh, grammatical with you for a moment, um, God's the subject of the sentence, right? If I go back and highlight this whole verse, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He's the subject. Created is what he did. Heavens and earth is the object. I don't want you to forget, and maybe it's the best thing I could say sermon-wise this whole weekend, God is the subject, and he never stops being the subject, okay? We are the object, and we never stop being the object, we never become the subject. Sometimes when we talk in the Christian faith, it seems like we're the center <laughs> of, we aren't. He is. He's the one who stands outside of time. He's the one who pre-exists the beginning. Like, we're just led into the story when time suddenly becomes a thing. What's it like to stand outside of time? That'll be fun to figure out at some point, won't it? I don't know what that means, hardly, but God must understand what it means because he does stand outside of time. Revelation, when it talks about God, it says multiple times that he is the alpha and the omega. You've probably heard that phrase before, but alpha is the first letter of the, of the Greek alphabet, and, and omega is the last. And so he's saying, I'm the beginning of this, and I'm the end of this. I contain both of those together. Um, there's a passage in Isaiah, Isaiah 46, 9. God says this through the prophet Isaiah, I am the God and there is no other, declaring the end from the beginning. Did you hear that? He's saying, I'm declaring the end from the beginning. I can see both right now at the same time. One of my favorite moments with Jesus 
I always have to go back and look at my references here so I don't mess them up. John 8, 56. He's talking with the Pharisees. In the middle of this, this conversation with them, he's talking about Abraham as if he knew Abraham. And, and there's a lot of time between Jesus and Abraham, like a lot of time, a couple thousand years. And so the Pharisees are like, who is this guy? They literally say it this way. This guy is not even 50 years old, and yet he's claiming to see, have seen Abraham. And Jesus lets loose with this little mind-melting beauty. He says, tell you the truth, before Abraham was, I am. Now, think for just a moment. Engage, okay? Because this isn't an easy one. He's saying, before Abraham was, I am. I am standing presently in this moment at the same time that Abraham was, and I'm doing it right now. Abraham's time is present to me right now, Jesus says. You got your mind around that one yet? Jesus saying, hey, by the way, just a little thing I'm going to toss out there for you all. I am present in all time right now. Brain explodes. By the way, they wanted to kill him for saying that because <laughs> that's claiming to be God in that moment. So one of the things that we know about this God is that he, he stands outside of time. He's not bound by it the way that you and I are. He can look at your life in every segment of your life right now. He can see it and understand it and know it. He sees time differently than you and I do. Another thing that we know about him is that he lives in community. We know that from Genesis 1-2. Genesis 1-2, the verse after this says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. See, in the very first moment, the Holy Spirit was right there too. If you've never read the rest of Genesis, Genesis 1-26, you have this sort of Bible put-down moment where you're like, what is going on? Because it because after God creates all of this stuff, he creates men and women. And then it says, let us make man in our own image. And if you're reading carefully, you're like, us? I thought we were talking about God. We are. The Holy Spirit is there. Jesus himself is there. You read John 1, 1. John says it too, that Jesus, the word made flesh, was with God in the very beginning. He's there. God has existed before time, and he exists in community. It's crazy. Well, if that's what he is, who is he? Who is this God? There's a moment, and you, maybe you forget this in reading the Old Testament, that they didn't really, there wasn't a lot of understanding about who God was. Because God wasn't just, I mean, it's not like they were doing retreats like this every weekend, okay? It didn't really work that way. And when God called Moses in Exodus 3, I think, when God calls Moses in that moment, Moses doesn't really know who he's talking to. So when God calls to him from the burning bush and says, hey, Moses, I'm going to use you to rescue my people out of Egypt, Moses is like, okay, I don't know if I really want to do this. And who are you? Like legitimately ask God, um, if when I go to Egypt, let's say that I do this thing, and they ask me who has sent you, what am I supposed to tell them? Because I don't know your name. He wasn't even 98% sure, okay? Like he didn't even have that, okay? Moses is 0% sure who he's talking to in that moment. And you know what God's answer is? What is it? I am. Actually, the first time he says it, he says, I am who I am. That's a crappy response. Somebody asks you who you are, okay? But Jesus, the, like, sorry, when I look at God the Father, 
There is no adjective that fully fits the end of that sentence. The moment that you finish the sentence, you diminish him. So when God introduces himself to Moses, he says, I am who I am. And when the, when the Egyptians ask you who sent you, you tell them, I am sent you. Wow. I am. He exists. He just is. He stands outside of time. He precedes creation. What's really interesting is that as time goes on, he does give us a name to call him. But I'll get there in a minute. Because first I want to ask the question, what did he create? What did he create? If now we know a little bit about him, then the next follow-up question becomes, well, what did he create in this? And that's where we get the picture of the garden. In the beginning of creation, I don't have to read all the scripture because you know it. God walks all through all of these things. I wrote down just a handful of them. Uh, in Genesis 1, he creates light and he says, oh, that's good. Light's good. God declares it. He creates land and says, that's good. Creates plants. That's good. Evening and morning. And that's what? Still good. God's like, that's good. I like evening and morning. Sea creatures. Good. Those are good. Land creatures. So good. Can I get an amen from the zoologists in the room? There we go. <laughs> then God creates men and women and steps back and says what? Very good. The only time throughout all of that stuff that he actually goes beyond good, it's, it is good, but he creates man and woman and he looks at the entirety of creation and he says, very good. This is, this is great. And he rests on the seventh day. You are a part of creation that this kind of a God looked at and said, this creation isn't just good, it's very, very good. As a matter of fact, you and I were the capstone of creation. I'm not going overboard by saying that. I'm not being melodramatic. Ephesians 4 actually says that we are God's workmanship. Some of the translations use the word masterpiece, that we are the masterpiece of God's creation. I believe that's what the story teaches. He was like, fish, good. Those are good. I like fish. But we are the ones who bear the creator's likeness. We are the ones who can think and who can reason we are the ones who lay awake at night wondering what our purpose is. We are the ones who have been given the gift of being able to show a different kind of compassion, to change this world in the way that God can change this world. He's given us a part of himself. He breathed it into our nostrils, and he set us in a place of perfection, of absolute perfection, the garden where there was no pain and there was no decay. Think about it for a moment. Men and women living together, without jealousy or competition, food without obesity or gluttony, sex without sin, nakedness without shame, life without disease, God and humans taking a walk, you guys. It talks about God walking with us in the cool of the day, after the heat of the day had passed, that God was present with us. Do you know what it would be like for your soul to be whole? Not needing a substance, not needing a distraction, not needing an argument, not needing a codependent person, not needing because your soul was whole. Can you imagine? That was the garden. Created by a perfect being and set in a perfect place. Well, then what's this God like? 
What's this God like? Well, there are lots of ways that we can get to know him. Romans 1 tells us that we can look around in creation. This is the perfect weekend for that, you guys. Take a walk and be like, what's God like? You, I, I'm going to guess you've been in very few places in your life where you will be able to see as many stars as you can this weekend. There's not a lot of light out here to compete, okay? And you get to look up and you get to, to, to see God's creation in the order and the wisdom and the expanse and the size And you can think to yourself, he made this for me to enjoy tonight. That you're his masterpiece. He looked at that stuff and he said, this is good. But he created you and he's like, this is very good. This is very good. This is like me. This resembles me. Like a child resembles its mom and dad. The cool thing, too, is God didn't just stop with I am. I know that he introduced himself to Moses that way, but the rest of the story, you guys, is him introducing himself. He does use adjectives, and he uses a lot of them. I'll just give you a few from the Old Testament right now. Jehovah Jireh, we've been singing this song. Jireh means provider. El Shaddai means Lord God Almighty. El Elyon, most high. Adonai, my master. Jehovah Nisi, my banner. Ra, my shepherd. Rapha, my healer. Shama, present. Tzidkanu means righteous. El Olam, he's everlasting. Shalom, peace. This and way, way, way more. The the last seven weeks of our semester on Monday nights, I'm going to be teaching through the I Am series of Jesus, the I Am statements. He makes seven of them in Scripture, in, in the book of John. It's not just I am. God doesn't leave it there. He starts filling in the blank for it. I am the bread of life. I am the vine and you are the branches. He starts helping us understand him all throughout scripture. At no point, I mean, in the garden, we ate the fruit. He said, don't eat. And God could have in that moment been like, done. Done. You're out. He's not. He's not. He's still continuing to reach out. He's still continuing to show his love. Throughout the story of Scripture, what do we see with him and the people of Israel? They continue to be disobedient. He continues to let them back. He continues to send prophets to them. He continues to guide them. When we were at our darkest hour, what did he do? He sent Jesus for us. And it still doesn't end. He's still coming back for us. He's still going to restore it all. So, all right. You guys, (laughs) I can tell This could be a very long sermon because I feel like I'm talking about a good friend right now. I'm not kidding. Like when I look at the creator who loves us, I could just spew because there's so much here. But let me get to the most important question tonight. Why? Why did he create? Why did he create you and me? Why did he create this earth? This is where I think some people will say, "I, I don't think we know. I think we do. I think the story answers that question. I can't answer all of the follow-up questions for those, but I think I, think I can get at the most important ones. Here's the thing that, that I believe Scripture tells us about the why. Our God is an artist. Truly. You walk around the next two days and tell me I'm wrong. He's an absolute artist. And an artist desperately wants a canvas. Our God is a lover. And what does a lover want? Someone to love, to pour themselves out into. God didn't create us because he needed to. An artist doesn't need a canvas. A painter doesn't absolutely have to have that. 
but for his beauty to reach its fulfillment and its fullness, the canvas has to be there. And out of the overflow of who God is and his character and his artistry and his love and his wisdom, he chose to create an object for his love. That's the why. Out of his love, out of the overflow of who he is, he chose to create an object for his love and he put us in this place. That makes perfect sense because one of the follow-up questions you probably have is, why was the stupid tree in the garden anyway? Okay? If God loved us so much, why does he put the stupid tree in the middle that he knows we're going to eat the fruit? It's like, it's, like, it's, like, it's like you're running a daycare and you have a Hershey's bar and you're like, just leaving this in the middle of the room, but nobody touch it. It's like, you know they're going to touch it. You know they're going to eat it. You know you're going to come back and just going to be chocolate all everybody's face and everybody's going to lie about who did it. That's just the way it's going to work. Why did he do it to begin with? You guys, because love always requires a choice. Tell me a kind of love that doesn't give the recipient the option to not love. Tell me what kind of love that is that forces itself on someone else. What kind of love is that? It's not love. It's manipulation. God could not have created a place where we did not have the option to choose against him. That wouldn't be love. And we couldn't live in a place that and like that and be like him. That is answered in Scripture. There are questions beyond that where you ask me and I might have to say, I'm not sure. You come to me and you say, Ben, was it really worth it? That one you might have to take up with God because I don't have that kind of God perspective. The only answer I can give you is it must be. It must be worth it to pour his love out onto us and to seek an object that he can love, just like a painter needs a canvas. Our God, out of the overflow of who he is, wanted you. Wanted you poured himself out for you. The moment he created Adam and Eve, you guys, he knew it had a cost to him personally. And if I go further down that road, I'm going to steal somebody else's sermon for this weekend, so I'm not going to go there. But I'm going to tell you this. Our God chose to create us because he's a great lover and he's a great artist. And we are part of the canvas that he wanted to paint on John 3.16, so simple and so deep that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish but would have eternal life. Or think about John 3.1, which says, behold, pay attention, behold how much love the Father has for us that we should be called children of God. This is our beginning. College is an interesting time, too, because for some of you, it's going to be the very first time you begin to process your own beginnings. You start to, to get out of what was normal for you, the family that you grew up in, the church that you were in, or you, that you weren't a part of, or like religion wasn't a part of your life at all, or maybe you're here like as an international student and all of this is foreign to you. But you begin to process these things for the first time. Who am I? What is normal? What do I believe? What is my community going to look like? What do I want to do with the rest of my life? You have to understand your own beginnings. But if I can give you one encouragement tonight, it's this. Your beginnings that have formed you and who just the way that Austin shared about his, realizing that the, the 
the things he thought about God and his relationship with his brothers have brought him to the space that he is now. Some of those are hard and some of those are good and it's okay to mourn the things that are hard and celebrate the things that are beautiful. You have a beginning that has brought you to where you are now. It's okay for you to think about that. It's okay for you to process that in community with other people. But I'll tell you this, you won't make a lot of sense of it until it's submitted to God's larger story that he's telling. So you guys, I look forward so much to us submitting our stories into his story, to the great artist, the great painter, who's been working on an amazing canvas that we get to look at. Close your eyes for just a second. I want to speak this over you. In the beginning was an artist, one who had so much of a capacity to love that he couldn't help but pour it out. It overflowed out of the deepest part of who he was and created something like him, created a bride for him to pour his love out into that he would make perfect, that he would call his own. He was beginning to write his own love story. And at the earliest part of that story, what we see is love, is creativity, and his connection with the creation. Thank you, Jesus. You can open your eyes and stand if you would.